Well, confession, I grew up as a child of the 70s, and like many of you, I understand what it was like to be relegated to what was known as the kids' table. I'm not even sure they still exist in homes today. Perhaps some of you may be wondering, what is Lee even talking about? You see, every holiday as part of our big family gathering, aunts and uncles and cousins and relatives of all shapes and sizes and ages would converge on the designated holiday gathering place. And no matter where that was, a table, usually a rickety scratched up card table, would be propped up a strategic distance away from the main adult table. This was known as the kids table. The challenge was no one really knew when someone graduated from that table. As an older teenager, I often found myself still seated with my younger nephews and nieces wondering, when do I get to move up? Rumor has it, you had to wait for someone to actually pass away before you could advance to the adult table. Anyway, I don't think I actually minded all that much as the kids table always seemed way more fun. The dinner table, whether for adults or for kids, kind of holds a prominent place in most of our lives. It's the gathering spot. No matter the twists and turns of life, the challenges that emerge, the table, a table like this, always seems to be the safe gathering place we can return to. We all recognize that a table set and waiting is a welcome and inviting sight. And today, as we conclude our journey through the 23rd Psalm, that type of table takes center stage as this Psalm concludes with some words of encouragement that should give us confidence and hope. And I wanna to begin today by reading together another paraphrase of this Psalm. I've enjoyed each week hearing this Psalm recited in different languages. It's a fitting reminder for us of how God's promises stretch across all sorts of geographical boundaries and every dialect. So today I wanna to read from what's called the voice paraphrase. Beginning in verse one, it says this, the eternal is my shepherd. He cares for me always. He provides me rest in rich green fields beside streams of refreshing water. He soothes my fears. He makes me whole again, steering me off worn and hard paths to roads where truth and righteousness echo his name. Even in the unending shadows of death's darkness, I am not overcome by fear because you are with me in those dark moments, near with your protection and guidance. I am comforted. And then here's verse five. You spread out a table before me, provisions in the midst of attack from my enemies. You care for all my needs, anointing my head with soothing fragrant oil, filling my cup again and again with your grace. And verse six, certainly your faithful protection and loving provision will pursue me where I go always everywhere. I will always be with the eternal in your house forever. Now we probably should have told you this up front, but the metaphor of a sheep is not entirely complimentary, though it's completely appropriate. Because unless you've spent a bunch of time with sheep, you may not know that they are actually not that fast. Sheep can't see that well, can't really fight for themselves. Sometimes, in fact, they wander off even when it's obvious they should stay put. And then sometimes the shepherd's trying to move them forward and the sheep are lagging behind. 
You may have even wondered, why did Jesus say you always have to leave the 99 and go find the one? Well, because there is always that one, the one who says, the one sheep who says, man, this is great. Full time security and this pen with this shepherd, lots of friends, plenty to eat. Hmm. I guess I'm just going to wander off anyway. You see, by using the imagery of sheep, God wasn't saying you are always so awesome. He knows better than that. But what he was saying was, I would like to lead you. And not only lead you, but there's some other things I'll do. I'll make you lie down. I'll make you lie down in green pastures. Make us, even when we don't want to or know to. He also said, I'll lead you beside quiet waters. I'll restore your soul. Whatever you need restored, I'm there for that. He says, I will guide you. However you need to be guided. Anybody looking for some guidance? And finally, he says, don't fear because I'm going to be there with you. I'll restore your soul. I'll lead you by quiet waters. But then he adds this. There will be a table prepared. I will anoint you with oil and fill your cup to overflowing. Then I'm going to do this, God says. I'm going to follow you around wherever you go. Wherever you go, I'm going to be right behind you bringing all these promises to your life tomorrow, next week, next month, for the rest of your life, if you will let me. Just don't wander off because eventually you'll come to my house that I have prepared for you to rest forever. Scholar Ken Bailey writes about this and gives us some insight that's fascinating and a hint as to why this promise would have been a big deal to those hearing this psalm. At the end of each day, the local shepherd's job was to begin to lead their flock back towards home after spending the day in the fields. But as they were heading home, it was actually the most dangerous time of the day. You see, the shepherds would expect a predator, a wolf or a lion or a bear to follow behind the flock to try and pick off any weak, stray or wandering sheep. He, the shepherd, he would be in the front. But if the shepherd was alone, they'd keep a nervous eye on the rear of the flock because enemies would always be lurking. And if they weren't careful, if they didn't move quickly enough, those at the back of the flock would be picked off. You see, the enemy was not just following the flock, but was actively pursuing to do damage, to steal and to kill and to destroy. The word used here for pursue in verse six is radaf which has been often translated follow, but it's an even, it's more accurately a word that involves direct action. It's more intense. It's probably better described as to pursue. There's so many negative and threatening things in our lives right now. It just feels like there are those enemies that seem to be always chasing, pursuing and stalking us. But David says that when God is our shepherd, even though enemies are nearby, it's his goodness, his mercy, his protection, and his provision that's pursuing us. The fact that God was the actual pursuer would have been a big deal to those who understood one of the main challenges for a shepherd. Now, you and I always have the option to say, ah, no thank you, I'll just lead myself, or say, nah, no thank you, someone else is going to lead me at this moment. Some of us are doing that right now. Maybe this current season has challenged your faith, it's shaken your resolve, and you're being tempted 
to wander off. Don't do it. This is the season to be reminded that if we surrender to the good shepherd, he will always be pursuing, following, and protecting us. We know this because David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, most of us would have written this entire section of the psalm much differently if it was left to us. I wouldn't have said, you lead me through the valley of the shadow of death. Instead, I would have written it this way. You always lead me a different direction so that I can avoid the valley at all costs. That's what I would have written. And I would have added, thank you also for wiping out all of my enemies. The kind of shepherd I would prefer is the one that doesn't lead me through valleys, doesn't expose me to death, and definitely destroys all my enemies. So if I was writing verse five, I also would have said it this way. You prepare a table before me in your presence. I would prefer that God prepare a table for me in his presence only. I mean, he is my shepherd. Our hope would be that God would get us out of the valley, wipe out all of our enemies, and then we can move into that whole celebration part. That's what we want. But God says, I'm going to be at the table with you, but we're going to do it. We're going to sit down in the midst of those enemies that stalk you and threaten you and intimidate you. It's not in their absence, but in their presence that you will know that God is there. And while you are surrounded God says, you and I will be at the table together. And that's what makes my relationship with you so amazing. So let's talk about the table for a few moments. I mean, when I read that God is setting the table, this is the sort of environment that immediately comes to mind. My friend Frank, he knows how to do it right. Everything that I need, everything that represents how he feels about me, everything that says we're going to sit together and have a feast is here at the table. This is showing us right now what our relationship with God is all about. This would have really meant something to the people who would have read this for the very first time, the 23rd Psalm. Because you understand, they lived in a desert, in a dry, dry environment. We get that. So a table set with food like this and drink cold water, this was really a precious commodity. So to put out a spread like this for somebody was the ultimate act of hospitality and goodness. You see, God doesn't have a scarcity mentality and obviously neither does Frank, but a generous one. He's going to prepare a table like this and invite you and I to sit with him. Now, you maybe don't even know much about the songs that we sing or why we sing them. You may not know a lot about the scriptures we read or why they're important and we value them. And you may not even know a bunch about this Jesus that we talk about all the time and why we actually follow him. But every person, every person, they know what this is. They know what this is, what the table is. And what it represents. And this is what God is wanting to have with us and for us. But it's always possible that someone else will get to your table and interrupt your meal. 
A few years ago, my wife and I were having a dinner out. It was a, it was a special occasion. I believe it was her birthday. And as we were there, a couple was exiting the restaurant and they walked right by our table. And then they gave us the look. We call it the look. It's not a bad thing, but it's just a byproduct of living and pastoring in Las Vegas for almost 30 years. People sometimes recognize us. It, it's, it's funny because for many years, I was kind of oblivious to what was going on and, and people would give the look and most of the time I, I would just smile awkwardly and so if I did that to you, I apologize. But I probably was unsure of what, whether we really recognized each other or not. However, confession is good for the soul and with that in mind, I confess that there have been other moments when I got the look where my response was not so awesome or what my wife would encourage. Way too many times there would be brief eye contact and then I would avoid the conversation or the interactive interaction. So if that was you, I deeply apologize. I was just trying to get in and out of Chipotle, I guess. My wife would always know that I shouldn't be that way. So anyway, this couple walks by, we're at this birthday dinner and they give us the look and I, I actually did pretty well. I smiled and acknowledged them and exchanged a few words, even, even got their name. But that was only the beginning because after the look, they locked in. Before we knew it, they, they had joined us. Yes, they had joined us at the table. And what was a moment stretched into minutes and beyond. I mean, they had lots of questions and they saw it as an opportunity to get those questions answered. They, they were probably confident this was a God moment. I was confident it was not. Eventually I explained that we were out for a special dinner, but they just weren't getting the hint even when our food came. I mean, it was awkward. You've probably been there. Why? Because they weren't welcome. They were nice people, but they were not invited to the table. It was our table, it was our time, but they took a seat. They were present. So when we sit down with God, we have to know that there are other things that will try to invite themselves to that table if we allow it. Issues and circumstances that are enemies of what God wants to do in our lives. Enemies that pursue us, that stalk us. We talked about this, that surround us and want to separate us from the shepherd. So let me say this. Don't give your enemy a seat at the table. You may be surrounded by, by pressure and circumstances and situations, a diagnosis, depression, anxiety, addiction, a relationship that went bad, divorce, someone in your life's trying to undermine you, whatever it is that's pressing in on you, God said, I have prepared a table for you in the presence of all your enemies. And this is what following Jesus is all about. It is about this kind of relationship with him. In other words, I have prepared a table for you to sit with me, to talk and to grow, to grow closer, despite the presence of your enemies. Isn't it amazing how fast the enemies in our life can try to insert themselves at our table? Isn't it amazing how fast we go from being connected to God to the enemy sitting at the table right next to us, between us? Between us and God, 
Just don't give the enemy a seat at your table. Jesus said it this way. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. His table is about life and life to the full. Any other table is about stealing, killing, destroying. Now, the enemy is most likely going to sit down and look pretty cool. Maybe looking like what you've been looking for. Maybe sounding like what you've been listening for. Telling you what you've been wanting desperately to hear. If that's the case, the enemy is at your table looking to steal and to kill and to destroy. He's pursuing you to take you out. But God's pursuit of us looks entirely different. Jesus goes on in that same passage to say, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd, Jesus says, lays down his life for the sheep. Translation, he gave his life in order to sit at the table with you and I. In order that your life would matter, that we wouldn't be filled with meaningless wandering, but that we would have the chance to actually live out our full purpose. That's what the shepherd wants for us. He's leading us towards that and will keep pursuing after us. So I wonder today, can you just come and sit at this table? Maybe just reciprocate what God is wanting to do in your life. Maybe just look at him, his love and his care for you. Just don't give the enemy a seat at your table. They may be present, but don't invite them to sit down. They're not invited. They don't deserve your attention or your, in- or your energy. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, because our shepherd has prepared this table just for you. It's, this is a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture of you sitting in the middle of all the nonsense of your life, the storms, the voices, and still being able to say, I'm okay because the shepherd is waiting for you at this table. So here's the question. Can you keep your eyes fixed on the presence of God, even when the presence of your enemies is all around? God prepares a table in the presence of my insecurity, in the presence of my deficit, in the presence of my addiction, in the presence of my confusion, in the presence of what I've lost, in the presence of the threat I don't I may not make it in the presence of my enemies. So just keep looking straight ahead. Keep looking at the shepherd because he's here. He's always here. He's preparing, he's protecting, and he's pursuing. So come on, you're invited. Come to the table.